Let's just take a moment and pray really quickly as we come to God's word today. Heavenly Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would take your holy word and apply it to our lives, that we would live fully and completely for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. How do you cope under pressure? How do you handle a crisis? I'm sure some of you uh, panic, you freak out, you lose it, you run around like a headless chicken, you don't know what to do, while others of you somehow remain completely calm. You have this ability to, instead of, of, of sinking, you step up and you face whatever the problem is. The, the reality is most of us have no idea how we handle a crisis until we are faced with one. We can plan, we can prepare, but until that moment happens, we really don't know how we will act or react. A number of years ago when we were living in the, the north coast in Port Stewart, our little boy was uh, three or four at the time, and he had just started preschool. I think he was four. And uh, one morning we were getting ready, and we heard this almighty scream coming from his bedroom which was right beside ours. Now, when kids are four, an almighty scream can mean pretty much anything from they can't find their favorite toy till their hair is on fire, okay? Because everything is a huge drama at that stage. But anyway, I ran into his room, and there, my little boy Elijah, my little four-year-old, was standing with his finger hanging off. Somehow, he had managed to get his finger caught in the hinge side of the door. And in the house we were living in at that stage, the doors were heavy. And so I, it was, I need to be careful, it was this finger. He had somehow managed to get this finger closed in the door. And when I came in, this finger was hanging off by a thread, just about there, just about a third of the way down. Well, in that moment, obviously, a fight or flight kicks in, and, and I immediately, you know, I, I, I'm strange. I, some little things will cause me to freak out, like slow drivers uh, and traffic. Uh, but when it comes to the big things, I, I somehow tend to, to keep my head, and I immediately got this stuff I, that we put on mouth ulcers to numb them, and I poured it all over his finger. It's an antiseptic, and that numbed it. I got lots of toilet rich tissue and wrapped it around it, and then I got Gorilla Tape. Yes, Gorilla Tape, and wrapped it in Gorilla Tape, and we, we, we zoomed in the car to Colerain Area Hospital, we went into reception, and I could tell the lady at reception thought we were being overreactive parents. Uh, but she, she sent us to see the nurse anyway in casualty, and the nurse thought we were being overprotective parents. But as soon as she took off the makeshift bandage, she uh, immediately kind of uh, realized it was more important and uh, more serious than she had thought, and she called the doctor, who called a consultant, and they immediately said to us, you need to get down to the Ulster Hospital to the plastic surgery unit. And so we, we zoomed down the motorway uh, to Belfast. We brought Elijah into the plastic surgery unit at the Ulster Hospital. And they managed to, to restore his finger and sew it back on. While we were waiting, I figured since we were in plastic surgery, I would get a little facelift done. That's why I look uh, 25 when I'm about to turn 45. Thank you to our NHS once again. You are our heroes. But in that moment, we had the choice to make. Do we panic? Do we freak out? Or do we hold it together 
and see how we can get through this storm. I'm sure all of you watching this, but I'm sure especially parents have had those moments when you're like, has my kid swallowed something? When they have fallen off their bike? When some major accident has happened? And in that moment, you have to somehow hold it together, even though your heart is thumping and you're not sure what to do. It's in those moments that we're tested most that our response is so important. This week we are continuing a little two-week series that I began last week, and it's called this, Unsinkable, How to Survive a Storm. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul in a massive crisis moment. He's in a boat that faces a perfect storm. It's being battered from all sides. It's being uh, blown about by the wind. It's coming apart, and it's about to sink. And actually, we'll see that everybody else is coming apart and sinking with it. How does Paul act or react? Uh, We gave a little bit of background last week. At this point, Paul is towards the end of his life. He has been uh, under house arrest for two years in Caesarea for a crime he did not commit. And uh, and he is fed up with being in legal limbo. So he's a Roman citizen, so he appeals to the highest court in the land. He appeals to Caesar. And he gets to stand trial before Caesar, but that means he has to go to Rome. And he goes in a ship. He's spent a lot of time on the sea at this stage. He's actually been shipwrecked three times. That is not much crack right there. But as he sets out on this journey, he makes it clear that he doesn't think this is a good idea. It seems from the text that he has been prophetically spoken to by God, who has told him what lies ahead. But the fact is this, Paul has no voice here. He's a prisoner and he's a preacher. He has no importance in this boat. He's at the bottom of the food chain of status and rank. The the people who have the real authority are the owner of the ship, the pilot of the ship, and the centurion. And the majority decide to side with the the so-called leaders and decide we should go on. And where we finished last week, as we said this, the voices you listen to will determine the storms you face. The voices we listen to in our lives will often determine the storms that we face. You see, the majority decided that they should go on, and yet the majority led them into a shipwreck and a storm. And in our culture today, the majority say many things. But we, as God's people, are a kingdom people. We're a people who don't follow the majority. We follow the word of God. And very often in our society today, what the experts say and what the majority say might sound good, might sound clever, might sound right, but if it contradicts the word of God, it will always lead you into storms and disasters and crises. Just because the majority says something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. So let's let's pick up where we left off last week. Verses 18 and 19 in Acts chapter 27. The verses will appear on our screen. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day we began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And my my first point is simply this today. Storms sort out 
our priorities. Storms have this way of sorting out our priorities. The story is told of an arrogant, young, rich investment banker who had just bought the very latest BMW and he's flying up a mountain in it but he takes a corner too sharp and, and uh, as he takes a sharp turn he loses control and begins to slide off the edge of the mountain, off the edge of the cliff. At the last moment he unbuckles his seatbelt, he flings open his door and he leaps from the car and the car plummets to the bottom of the ravine and bursts into a ball of flames. Although he has escaped with his life, the man suffered a terrible injury. Somehow his arm had been caught near the hinge of the door as he jumped, and it had been torn off at the shoulder. A passing lorry driver had saw what had happened in his rearview mirror and stopped and came running back to him. And the man was standing there looking down the ravine at his car burn, and he was going, my BMW, my new BMW. The trucker pointed at the man's shoulder and said, look, I don't mean to be rude, but I think you've got bigger problems than your BMW being on fire down there. And the man looked at his shoulder where his arm should have been, and he said, my Rolex, my brand new Rolex. Sometimes we get our priorities completely mixed up. Here in this story, the boat that Paul was on was a big boat, we, we read later that it carried 276 people on board as well as a, a lot of cargo and grain and supplies. And before the storm, the most important thing in that boat was the cargo. It was what would make them money. That was what they were trying to protect. That's what they were trying to get to their destination. But look at what happens. They began, it says to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And then later, in verse 38, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Once the storm begins to hit, they get desperate. They begin to differentiate what is truly valuable and what can be thrown away. Their priorities change You know, storms have a way of doing that, don't they? Storms make us realize what's actually important in our lives and what's not. And there's so many things that we thought were important that when a storm hits, when a crisis hits, when an accident happens, we actually realize that the things that we thought were important really aren't that important in the overall scheme of things. It's not exactly what we've realized in the past few months. We have begun to appreciate so many of the things in our society that we used to take for granted. Like hugs from family members and friends, our frontline staff, coffee shops, McDonald's, church meetings in a building, face-to-face conversations, Andrex soft three-ply toilet tissue. You know, our lives have got so rushed and so busy as we try to keep up with our schedules and parenting and jobs and all the demands that it's, it's so easy just to lose sight of what's important, to forget what really matters because we're just trying to get through each day. 
And life is hard. And life is busy. And there's so many demands. And there's so little time. And for, it seems that for years, I think many of us have just been just trying to make it through. And suddenly, here we are. And we're asking ourselves, what's really important? What really matters? Like, I, I want everything to start opening up again. I really do. But I've also asked myself, how many things have I really missed? Like, genuinely missed? Like, there's a Starbucks beside us here. I, 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 I'm looking forward to it opening up. But sorry, Tierna, who's the manager. But if it never opened up again, we'd, we'd be fine. You know, I'm looking forward to people coming to church here again. I, I'm looking forward to, to being able to do so many of the things that we did before. But I, I'm also realizing that if we were never able to do a lot of them again, you know what? Life would be fine. In some cases, life might even be better. What matters most in your life? When everything else is stripped away, when, when it all goes and, and, and it's, it's no longer there, what really matters to you? What matters most? Do you know, I have had the privilege of officiating many funerals in my life. I've sat at many bedsides as people have breathed their last. And You know, in those last moments of people's lives, they never talk about their jobs. They never talk about their bank balance. They never talk about how big their house was. They never talk about how many people followed them on social media. They never talk about how well-known they were. Do you know what they do? They talk about two things. They talk about their family and they talk about God. That's the only two things that people talk about in those last moments of their lives. Maybe that's why when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says this, love God and love those around you. Why? Because they're the only things that really matter in life, ultimately. Your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. And maybe this time of a reset, this time when things are locked down and shut down a bit, it's a time for us to really reprioritize our lives. And I know some of you are doing that. It's a time to step back and go, you know what? Maybe I need to, to reorganize things a bit. My life had got out of focus. It had got out of kilter. It had got out of balance. And I need to reset things so that when we come through this and out the other side, my life is so much healthier and my focus is so much better than it was before we went into this. Let's read verses 21 to 26. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice. <laughs> he can't help himself. It's uh, kind of one of those I told you so moments. Uh, this could be my wife's life verse. Man, you should have taken my advice. Not to sail from Crete, but then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. 
I love that the angel knew Paul's name. I love that God speaks to us by name. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Because Paul was on the boat, God's blessing was on the boat. Sometimes the people you align yourself with and surround yourself with will keep you from storms and some of them will keep you through storms. Jonah was on a boat and he brought people into storm. But sometimes the favor on other people's lives is like an umbrella and their favor from God covers you also. So be very careful who you align yourself with. So keep up your courage, men. This is Paul speaking. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So they haven't eaten in a long time. They haven't actually eaten in two weeks. Uh, Because let's face it, who wants to eat when you're in the middle of a storm? A number of years ago, my parents were on a, a huge cruise ship and they went into a terrible storm. And in the middle of the storm, the last thing they were thinking was, I'd love a fish supper right now. The last thing you're thinking about is your stomach is flipping, is how can I get some food? And this is Paul's moment right here. This is where he shows unsinkable character. Real character isn't in following the majority. Real character is not following your feelings. Real character isn't uh, dictated when the sun is shining or when you're safe in harbor. Real character is shown in a crisis. The storm doesn't make you so much as it exposes what's already within you. Isn't that what they say about money? Isn't that what they say about fame? That they don't change you so much as they simply accentuate and magnify what's already there. And the storm doesn't change you. Very often it just exposes what's already been inside you. You know, we're all like tubes of toothpaste. Whenever we're squeezed with pressure from the outside, uh, what's inside comes out. And so here... When everyone else has given up all hope and there's nothing but despair, that's when Paul comes to the fore, he steps up and he shows what leadership actually is. You see, the captain and the owner of the ship and the centurion, they might have had position and rank and title, but leadership is not about position and title. Leadership is about stepping up when everybody else is losing their minds and pointing to a way forward. It's stepping up in the midst of a crisis and taking control. You see, they were all in the storm, but the storm was in them. But Paul didn't have the storm inside him because he had a spirit inside him, God's spirit that was stronger than the storm. You don't need the title of a leader to be a leader. Some of you are leaders in your workplace. You're not called a manager. You're not the owner of the business, but you're a leader. Some of you are leaders in homes. Any parent, you're a leader. Some of you are leaders in sports clubs or organizations. Leadership is not having a position or a title. Leadership is who people look to when things fall apart. Who do they call when they don't know what to do? Whose advice do they ask for when everything is confusing and in a crisis? And in the middle of the storm, what the Apostle Paul lacked in position or title, he made up for in authority and credibility. And they're now ready to listen. Look again at what he says. Man, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. 
He's also saying, guys, you didn't listen to me back there. Maybe you should listen to me now because what I've said so far has come to pass. He has built up credibility in their eyes. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Look at this sentence again. But not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Is that good news? It depends. It depends what part of the sentence you focus on. Not one of you will be lost. That's good news. Only the ship will be destroyed. Now, for everybody there, the ship was where they were placing their hope. That was where they were placing their trust. They were trying to keep the ship together. That is where everything they thought that safety and getting through the storm depended upon was keeping the ship together. The ship represents what you think is holding you up and keeping you afloat. It's what you think you can't live without. It's what's carrying you. It's where you look for security. It could be your bank balance. It could be your job. It could even be your family. It could be your church. It could be your status or position. If your hope is in the boat, you're not going to stay afloat. Their hope was in the boat, but the boat was going to sink. And if your hope is in your boat, if your hope is in your family, if your hope is in your friends, if your hope is in your job, if it's in your bank balance, if it's in your status, if it's in your, your whatever it is, your house, when the storm hits, you're not going to stay afloat. Paul says this, keep up your courage, have courage. Why? If your hope is in the boat, you have conditional courage. If your hope is in the boat, as long as the boat stays afloat, you've got hope. But if your hope is in your bank balance and your bank balance goes down, you go down with it. If your hope is in a relationship and that relationship breaks up, then you go down with it. If your hope is in your job and you lose your job, you go down with it. But if your hope is in God, he is unsinkable and therefore you're able to stay afloat. And that's what we see in Paul. Where does his unsinkable courage and his unshakable confidence come from. Look at verses 23, 24. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before trial, must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. I love how Paul describes his relationship with God. This is the God, he says, I belong to God and I serve God, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. The God to whom I belong and whom I serve. His relationship came before what he did. I belong to him, therefore I serve him. I don't serve him trying to earn favor with him, but because I belong to him, I serve him. And my hope is not in the boat. My identity is not in the boat or anything else. My identity is firmly rooted and established in this, that I am a son and I am a servant of the Most High God. Therefore, I have no fear of any storm. If the boat goes down, I'm not going down with it. He belongs to God, not to his belongings. And when you don't belong to your belongings, you might lose your belongings, but you will be fine. The boat is good. There's nothing wrong with the boat. 
The boat is great, but the boat is not God. There's nothing wrong with the boat. I'll row, row, row the boat all day long. There's nothing wrong with a nice house or a good bank balance or a good job or a lovely family. All those things are great. But my hope is not in the boat. My hope is in my God who rules and reigns in heaven. Look at verses 25, 26. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Again, he says, keep up your courage. There's 276 people on this boat and only one of them is speaking life and courage and hope. So much for the majority, huh? The majority were fine before the storm. When the storm hits, one person, the man whose faith is in God, is the only one who keeps it together. Paul points him to God because what we fix our focus on will determine whether we face storms with faith or fear. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible says we fix our sight on things unseen which are permanent, not on what is seen because that is temporary. And Paul is fueled by faith. And he says this, I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Listen to that conviction. I have faith in God. It will happen just as he told me. It's not Paul's opinion. It's not his feelings. It's not conjecture. It's not just some vague hope he has. He is basing it on the word of God. And when we speak the word of God, we can speak with confidence and conviction. When we stand on the promises of God, we can do that with great boldness and undaunted courage. Why? Because God's word is eternal. It is a rock and it stands forever. It is not changed by culture. It is not changed by storms. It is not changed by what's going on around us. But it is a rock and a refuge in times of trouble and when we're facing darkness and dismay and despair. God has told me, he says, we will survive the storm. So my faith is not in what I see. My faith is not in what I feel. My faith is in what God has said to me. And look at his words. He says, it will happen. Even if my circumstances don't change right now, if God has said it, it will happen. Even if the situation seems to get worse every day, if God has promised something, it will happen. Even if everyone who started the journey with me doesn't continue on the journey with me and I stand alone, do you know what? If God has said it, it will happen. Even if I'm battered and bruised and I'm not sure I can continue any longer. If God has told me he will get me through it, then it will happen. Even if I lose some stuff along the way that I thought was important, if God has told me he'll get me to the other side, it will happen. Even if my heart is broken, even if I'm not sure how I can make it through another day, even if the worst happens, I know that if God has given me a promise, I can stake my life on that promise and it will happen because my faith is not in the boat. And so even if the boat falls apart, my faith will stay afloat because God has said it will happen.
Let's, we're coming towards the end here. Let's look at verses 33 to 37. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Again, look at the confidence in that. You're not even going to lose a hair from your head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Once again, isn't it incredible how things can change through a storm? At the start, Paul was a nobody and everybody ignored him. But now as he has stood up in the storm, as he has led with courage and conviction and confidence because of the word of God, everybody is now looking to him as their leader. Everybody is following him. Look at what we read before. Verse 22, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Verse 25, uh, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God. Do you know that word encourage comes from two words, in and courage. It means to infuse courage, to speak courage, to inspire courage, determination, hope, confidence. Research has shown that the most, six most encouraging things people can say are these. I love you. Dinner is served. All is forgiven. Keep the change. You've lost weight. And I believe in you. We need people who speak courage and encouragement over our lives. And Paul speaks courage, but he does more than that. He models what he is asking them to do. You see, that's real leadership. Real leadership goes first. You see, they're reluctant to eat. They haven't eaten in two weeks. They're nervous about eating. So what does Paul do? It says, Paul ate first and the rest of them followed. That's leadership, folks. Leadership is going first. Leaders don't sit and wait to see what everybody else is doing, checking the wind. Leaders do what is right, and they do it with confidence and courage, and others follow them. Somebody once said, if you think you're a leader, and you turn around and nobody is following you, you're just taking a walk. Paul here is a leader, and they're following his example. It says they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. There's not a lot of hope around us right now. People are drowning in despair. And as Christians, we need to be a people of encouragement. We need to be a people who, who speak encouragement. Our job is not simply to repeat the news headlines or to regurgitate what the experts have said. We are to speak life and hope and courage into others. We are to speak blessing and faith and peace. We show people by our words and actions that we are a people who trust a God in heaven who rules and reigns on a throne with absolute authority and complete supremacy. That is what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. That our courage is not in what we see around us. It's not what we read on BBC or in the Belfast Telegraph. Our courage comes because God is sovereign and he has not vacated his throne because of a coronavirus. Instead of telling everybody how big the storm is, why don't we start speaking to the storm and declaring to the storm how big our God is. Let's finish. 
When daylight came, verse 39, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The, the bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken into pieces by the pounding of the surf. The centurion ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. At last they make it. They, they get to land. The boat sinks, but the people survive. And here's the thing we know, need to know today. Storms always have an ending. You need to know that today. Storms, even the worst storms you face, always have an ending. It might not feel like it right now. It may feel like that pain is never going to go away. It might feel right now that that broken heart is never going to heal. It may feel like you're never, ever going to get out of debt. It may seem like that relationship might never be restored. It may feel right now that you're not going to get through. It may seem right now that we're going to be doing social distance into 2025. But I want to say this to you. Every storm has an ending. Every storm you're facing has an ending. This too shall pass. Sometimes before the storm changes, we change within the storm. Sometimes God doesn't take us out of the storm as soon as we would like, but he does something to us within the storm that only the storm could do so that when we come through the storm, we're different. We're stronger. Our faith is deeper. We're better for whatever lies ahead. Sometimes the boat doesn't survive. Sometimes the thing we dreaded most actually happens. And you see, see, God, God never promised to save the boat. But he does promise to save me. And so even if the boat goes down, God is still just as faithful. I often say this, sometimes we don't realize that God is all we need until God is all we have. And you can lose everything, but if you still have Christ, you've got everything. Because if you have Christ, you have hope, you have life eternal, and you know that your future is secure, that no matter what comes against you, God is for you, God is with you, and God will bring you through to the other side. Just a story as I finish. Many of you will probably know the old hymn. Uh, We still sing it in some churches today. When peace like a river attendeth my way. It was written by a guy called Horatio Spafford. He was a good friend of the the famous evangelist D.L. Moody. Horatio Spafford was a, a rich and successful lawyer. He had a beautiful wife, and they were well-known and well-admired in Chicago in the 19th century. In 1870, however, things started to go wrong. The Spafford's only son was killed by scarlet fever at the age of four. A year later, in 1871, a huge fire in Chicago destroyed all of the businesses 
and all of the, uh, all of the, the factories that Horatio Spafford owned. They were burned to the ground. To help his family deal with all the loss and pain they'd gone through, Horatio arranged a holiday for them all in England. And just as they were about to set sail, something happened and there was a business situation came up and Horatio had to to stay behind. But he said to his wife, you take the kids, you take the family with you and I'll follow you as soon as I have dealt with this. Tragedy sadly struck off the coast of Newfoundland. The ship his family were on collided with another ship and began to sink. In the moments before the ship sank, Anna Spafford, that's Horatio's wife, gathered her four young girls around her. They ranged in ages from 18 months to 12 years. She gathered them and she prayed with them. She held the the little baby in her arms. And as the icy waters swept over the decks, the three oldest girls were swept into the sea. And eventually even the baby was taken from her arms and also drowned. Shortly after that, Anna was rescued by a lifeboat. She sent her husband a telegraph with just two words on it, saved alone. He knew what it meant. He boarded the first ship he could and sailed to the very spot where his four daughters had drowned. And as he was standing on the deck overlooking the sea where he had lost his four girls, he wrote this hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Where's your hope today? If your hope is in anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, I want to tell you that you're hopeless. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. You will not survive the storm. But if your hope and your faith are in Jesus Christ, you might lose the boat. You might lose the things that you think you need most, but ultimately you will come through it. Because God is with you, God is for you, and God will bring you through to the other side.